Hey everybody, welcome to this special edition of 48 Minutes, brought to you by 48MinutesNetwork.com. I am Tim Daniel. This is a really cool episode. We're talking about NBA Jam, the book, with our guest, author of NBA Jam, the book, Rayon Ali. Rayon comes on the show and he tells us a lot of cool stories about what he learned during the process of writing this book, what it was like to interview Shaquille O'Neal for NBA Jam, the book, and also tells us about some really cool stories such as hidden characters, teams he played with, and we kind of bond over uh, being local Ohioans, I guess you can say, even though I live on the Kentucky side, but I'm close enough to Cincinnati. Uh, certain arcades that we both have hit up over the years um, that have NBA Jam cabinets. So I do want to give a fair warning. You know, sometimes when we have these recordings, audio is not always going to go my, go our way, but I made the most of it. We knocked it out. It's still a really good interview. This book has a lot of great things about it. If you love NBA Jam, this is the book for you. tinyurl.com slash NBA Jam book. I'm going to stop talking. You just need to listen to this. This is NBA Jam, the book with Rayan Ali. Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kittrow from NBA Jam. Ooh, boom shakalaka. You wanted to come with it, done it, we got it with punishment. Nuggets is confident, but can't handle what we come to win. Others in love with the drug in this man, we just run it. Long as the public is coming, then we keep them loving it. What game is? What game is? All right, folks, so if you listen to 48 Minutes every week, you know very well that NBA Jam is a big part of our show. Our pilot episode had Tim Kitzrow on. Tim Kitzrow himself does our introduction to our show. So I was followed by a Twitter account about two years ago called NBA Jam The Book. And when I saw that this Twitter account showed up, I had to follow it. I had to know what was going on. So I'm lucky enough, as today that we are releasing this episode is the release day, October 22nd of NBA Jam The Book, and we are fortunate enough for our guest today to be Mr. Rayon Ali, the author of NBA Jam The Book. Rayon, welcome to 48 Minutes. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. So here's what's so funny is Rayon's writing this book. He lives in Columbus. I live in Cincinnati. So we connected on Twitter, but we're only two hours away from each other. It's a small-ass world, man. It's a small-ass world. I've... uh... I'm actually going to be doing one of my first appearances, or actually my very first ever appearance at a convention, hopefully in Cleveland, sometime uh, before the end of the year. Nothing planned in Cincinnati yet, but if there is, man, I'd love to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. you got to let me know. Yeah. So, Rayon, first off, let's talk a little bit about you and yourself so our audience kind of gets a general idea of the man behind the book. Certainly. Um, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about myself. So, yeah, so again, my name is Rayon. Um I was born in Dallas, Texas, but I grew up in Karachi, Pakistan, and that's where I actually fell in love with basketball, which was in the 90s. So just to give you some context, I'm 33, and to grow up in the 90s, loving basketball in Pakistan is a, to be in, in a very tough spot. Over there, the main sport is cricket. I ended up over there because of uh, some family stuff, and I really fell in love with the NBA probably around 95, 96 or so. And a big part of the way that I kept in touch with the NBA was through Beckett basketball magazines, through trading cards and whatnot. This is back before full games were shown on TV. And then another big part of the puzzle was NBA Jam. In fact, that's how I got into the league in the first place, way back when. So, um, loved American pop culture as a kid, even though you know I was born here and I grew up here for a period. I moved over there for a while. And then I always had dreams of writing someday. 
worked as a freelance writer on and off for years after I graduated college, which is about 2008, and wrote for a whole bunch of different kinds of places about lots of cool subjects. Wrote for Rolling Stone, for Wired, for Spin Magazine, American Airlines In-Flight Magazine, which was kind of a cool one. Uh, lots of all weekly free papers over in Cincinnati, Cincinnati City Beat. I was yeah. there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I was all over the, the mass set. Even when I went right there, they'd still leave me behind. Um, anyways, wor- I worked as a freelance writer for many years, doing lots of p- pop culture stories, nonfiction stories, lots of music stuff. Got to talk to some, got to talk to some cool people. And then at some point, I decided that you know what, I really want to do something more substantial. I really want to write a book. So then I was I found out about this publisher, Boss Fight Books. This was 2015, and I was thinking, boy, I really, really want to write a book, and I really want something that's substantial, something that people will be interested in, and something that probably has a really good story behind it. I mean, there's got to be something that's got some meat on the bone. And I started to think about it, and one idea that hit me was NBA Jam. And this is back in 2015, so I came up with this pitch, and most pitches for Boss Fight Books are about eight pages long or so, from what I could guess. They're a little indie publisher out of Los Angeles. They only do books about individual video games. So they'll do a book about Galga, a book about Super Mario Brothers 2, a book about a different series here, a different series there, Earthbound. So I was trying to think of something that, okay, what can I do a book about? So I came up with NBA Jam. I pitched it to them. Went really well. You know, I was trying to think about something that could take me back to my childhood, something that could take me back to an era when I was really interested and passionate about video games, like at a peak. And the basketball element added something cool, too. So I started working in 2015 on this. And then four years later, on October 22nd, today, I am finally able to, more than four years later, I am able to say that the book is finished and it is out, and it is a very strange feeling. So you mentioned you've been working on this for four years. Um, what is, where did you start with your process? Where was, like, I know you talked about the promo, the, the discussion you met with the publisher, but once they said, yeah, let's give it a shot, where, where was step one for you to get this process going? That's a good question. Um, probably the first place I looked was someplace that had some kind of development, uh, developmental roster list, you know, something on there that said, okay, here are all the developers on the game. Here's who worked on the support side. Here's who worked on the hardware side and try to track down people one by one. So, my first source was, of course, to go over and think about these big players. I knew Mark Trammell, or I rather mm-hmm. I knew of Mark Trammell, who is the main creator of NBA Jam. He's the lead designer on the game. He also did Smash TV, NFL Blitz. He did uh, MLB Slugfest. He did Total Carnage, WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game. Lots of these The best classics. arcade game. What's that? The best arcade, arcade game. Yes, yeah. A wild game. A wild game, but I love it, and he really put his heart into it. It's a very Trammell game. So yeah, so I first I was going through and trying to find, okay, the obvious people to, to ask about. But then I was thinking, okay, who could I ask that's a little bit a little bit different? So I found John Robinson, who went by the name Johnny Ballgame over at Game Pro Magazine in the 90s. And I asked, I did this interview with him just to gather some information, to know whether I'd use it in the book or not. And then he led me in one direction, and then I went in another direction. And it was pretty much piece by piece. I managed to build together this whole cast of characters that's in the book. I've got 68 interviews total, which is pretty cool. It's a lot of work. You know, 68 is probably way overboard. I could have probably stopped around 50 and gone the same book. But, you know, when you're too far gone at some point, you're like, okay, you know, I got all the midway guys. Let me get the acclaim guys. Okay, I got the acclaim guys. Let me get some players. I got some players. Let me get this. Let me get that. So, yeah, it was a lot of asking around and seeing who would bite and who wouldn't. 
So I got some really cool people for the book. I got Shaq. I got DJ Jazzy Jeff. I got Glenn Rice. I got George Clinton. John Romero, who's the co-creator of Doom and Quake and Wolfenstein 3D. I got John Tobias, the co-creator of Mortal Kombat. All these cool people. So it started off with a pretty small idea in terms of the roster that I had in my head that I would realistically get. And then more and more, I found out that people really love NBA Jam, and the game has really resonated with people. And the the game's got such a fascinating story that's worth digging deeper. So over time, it, it, I amassed 68 interviews. But when I started out, I just knew I wanted to do the developers and look around for the basic stuff. And then, you know, John Robinson over at GamePro Magazine led me in one direction. And then, you know, it was uh, it's been a long road since then, but I've learned a lot about the game. I feel like I'm the foremost expert in the world about NBA Jam at this minute. Yeah, that might be true. Um, so I remember last year, you know, I think last year was the 25th anniversary. It was, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, like I said, you started following me a couple of years ago, but last year Sports Illustrated did their 25th anniversary article on NBA Jam. When that came out, were you like, oh, son of a bitch? Or were you like, oh, cool, more insight? Man, that's a really good question. Yeah, I was definitely, part of me was like, oh, God, Sports Illustrated are doing something. And then I read the article, and it was it was a fantastic article. And I've even cited it uh, as a source uh, for one portion of the book in which I used, I think I referenced like a quote or a fact or something like that. No, definitely, I wanted to be the first person to tell the story. Of course, realistically, you know, writing the book is a really long process, especially it's the first time I'm doing it, doing it on top of the day job and family stuff too. So when it came out, I was like, oh, that's a bummer, but I hope it won't you know, really jut up too close to the book. And thankfully, it kind of covers on some basics of NBA Jam. So if you guys haven't read it, definitely go check it out. It's super cool. But my book is different in the way that this is a real deep dive. I mean, you know, that's more of a think of that as kind of an abstract of the story of NBA Jam or just, you know, a little bit of a synopsis of some of the key parts of it. But what I do is I go back in and I flesh out what Midway was, what happened to Midway, what happened to NBA Jam. You know, that style of game was so popular. And then it kind of faded off. So I look at that, I look at NFL Blitz, I look a little bit about the hysteria of Mortal Kombat at the time. I look, I take a lot more of a deeper look and I take some angles that would be pretty tough to replicate, I'd say, without doing a little bit of legwork. I mean, I found the guys who wrote the very first ever NBA Jam strategy guide and told their story, which is one of my favorite stories in the book. Super cool. So it's much more extensive than the Sports Illustrated article. That said, the, those guys did an awesome job. I believe their names were Alex and Dan. So definitely check that out. Uh, but the book is going to be a very different beast in that way. Um, a lot more perspective, and I'd say a lot rawer than that too. So one of my favorite NBA GM facts is it's well known that um, actually, so the backstory for me here is I'm a diehard Chicago Bulls fan. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's the rumor of the... If you play the Pistons and the game's close at the end of the game and you shoot the game-winning shot as the Bulls, you'll miss. Oh, yeah. And that was something that always made me laugh. And that is true. It's wild. I mean, to think that the kinds of things that they did at Midway, I'm sure other people could do them now here and there, but Midway did them with such panache. Um, Yeah, so the story about that, so that is true. So Mark Turmel, uh, the main creator of the game, he is from Michigan. He grew up in Bay City, Michigan. And that's where he went to high school and whatnot. He ended up going over to California to pursue being a computer programmer in the 80s. And he loved the Pistons, though. So this is something that he always loved the Pistons. And then he ended up working in Chicago at Williams Valley Midway. And this is like right when the Bulls are starting to really take off. Like late 80s is when Termel joins. 
But the bad boys Pistons are still really in the mix. I mean, they're winning the championships for a brief period. And over at Midway, this is just, I love that this happened, is that, you know, almost everybody in the office was a Bulls fan, or, all, you know, all the key people were. Um, you know, like John Tobias and Ed Boone, the co-creators of Mortal Kombat, you can find them wearing uh, Bulls merchandise and old photos and videos and things like that. But Tremel, on the other hand, he was a Pistons fan. And there was a time when the Pistons won the championships and beat the Bulls, uh, or narrow, narrow, narrowly edged out the Bulls at some point. I forget the specific chronology over there. Whatever the case was, Tremel, when he was like at his peak Pistons fandom, he would go around the office and he would chant, Bad boys, like <laughs> right at the midway guys. So that's how much basketball mattered to these guys. So then the time, so this is of course pre-NBA Jam, and then of course the Bulls just go off like a rocket. And then by 993, 994, it's clear that the Bulls are the team in the league. And they're going to be the team in NBA Jam, with or without, without Michael Jordan. And the game, it's Scottie Pippen, and I think it's Horace Grant. Yep. And, yeah, and... B.J. Armstrong's the substitution. Be found. What's that? B.J. Armstrong's the substitution. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's always... I love that smile of his. I can still see his smile on my head. He's got that kind of, like, goofy smile <laughs> yeah. on his face. Um, yeah, so this game was so so huge, or basketball was so huge. And keep in mind, they're also working in Chicago. This is, like, peak Bulls time. I mean, this is the peak Jordan era. Anyways, um, they're working on NBA Jam. They've gotten the, the license to the league and whatnot. And they're wrapping up to work on the game. But Trammell cannot just cannot cope with the fact that the Bulls would be the best team in his game. Like even though they're incredible in real life, and the Pistons have had their moment, and the moment has passed, he still held on to that. So he did. He stayed loyal to his Detroit Pistons fandom, and he tweaked the stats so that if you're playing the Bulls versus the Pistons in the last quarter, it's going to skew towards the Pistons. So that even if you're up ahead as the Bulls, they're going to start to choke at the end, and. Some of the other programmers figured this out or found out about it. They were a little upset, but Termel didn't care. I mean, for Termel, like, he loved the game so much. He loved NBA Jam so much, working on it so much, and he loved basketball so much that, you know, it wasn't, wasn't really something that he really thought twice about. I mean, this was his game that he was putting everything that he wanted into. And what's cool is that coming over to NFL Blitz a few years later, uh, this is a lesser-known fact, is that he actually did the same thing with the Detroit Lions in there. So he made them... Uh, one of the stronger teams in the game. Nice. I did not know that. That's yeah. interesting. It's uh I don't think it's the same thing. I don't think there's a kind of any kind of rivalry with the Bears, but I do know that it's uh it's something that yeah, that was there in NFL Blitz and I mean that guy loves Detroit. He hasn't lived in Detroit in many many moons or rather lived in Michigan in many many moons, but I think he still has that uh that team and that city in his heart. That makes sense now why the Red Wings are so overpowered in NHL hits. There you go. There you go. That's probably Termel at work knowing that, okay, now's my time to rep for Detroit in <laughs> hockey. Yeah, absolutely. So the other Bulls fact is obviously, which is so funny. So like I said, our open, our first episode, Tim Kittra told the Michael Jordan NBA GM cabinet story. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden lately, it's like blown up. Like it's been like, yeah, you know, Mike, there's, there's four versions of the game that have Michael Jordan, Ken Griffey Jr. and Gary Payton. I'm like, yeah, we, we knew this a few years ago. And now it's like this big story again. Yeah, it's I think it's one of those things where when more people hear it or a different kind of person hears it, it just takes on new life. And the original story that I read that, that posted that, the one that I'd say is a really good source, was actually, it was written by John Robinson, that Johnny Ballgame from GamePro that I talked about earlier. He ended up writing for ESPN years later also. And then he talked about that Jordan, uh, the whole Jordan story. I think that's the first time you can find it there with a credible source. That was like 2008 or 10, something like that. 
And then, yeah, it just keeps popping back up. Um, but yeah, the story is that Michael Jordan was such a big fan of NBA Jam. Now, even though the game came out and he would not let his his license be in the or not let his likeness be in the game due to licensing issues, I mean, he knew that he was worth a lot, and I don't think there's any way on earth that Midway would ever be able to pay that, much less even think about paying it. So he was out of the game. But he loved NBA Jam so much at the time, or it was such a big fad at the time that he had his management reach out to Midway and say, hey, I want an NBA Jam cabinet of my own with me in it. So Termel and his team, they verified this multiple times. So this is one of those crazy urban legends that I think is actually true. And they went and they made a special version of the game that had Michael Jordan in it. But not just Michael Jordan. It had Gary Payton, who wasn't in the game at that point. Now keep in mind, Gary Payton's iconic, but he's there in Tournament Edition right. with the Sonics, not in the original NBA Jam. So it's got Gary Payton, Michael Jordan, and the third one is Ken Griffey Jr., who was also a fan of the game. And what's cool is that there's headshots out there. I posted these on Twitter before. I'll probably repost them again soon of Ken Griffey having his headshots taken from different angles and then sending those photos in over to Midway, which is crazy. I mean, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. is on top of the world this time, and yeah. he's taking time out of his day to have his headshots taken because he wants to be an NBA Jam. But, I mean, in 1993-94, who wouldn't want to be an NBA Jam? Yeah, not to mention he had Ken Griffey Jr. baseball at that time, which was phenomenal. Yeah. Man, he was really on the top of the world when it came to video games at that point. Yeah. And, um, no, it's so cool that this is something that existed. So, unfortunately, those releases never made it out of the wild. Those are just in the few collections of, you know, Ken Griffey and of Jordan and of Peyton. But Mark Trammell says that he still has boards somewhere in his house. I'm guessing somewhere in a garage. Maybe they're unlabeled in a big box like an old batch of arcade boards, somewhere in there is the Jordan board, the Jordan Griffey Payton board. And that's one place I know where it is. The other one is in Gary Payton's house in California. He's got a place in California where he's got two mint condition NBA Jam cabinets, and both of them, I believe, have that version on there. Now, I've been unable to get Termel to go out to his garage or out to his space and take it out, even though I'm like, look, people are going to die for this. This would solve such a huge mystery this would put a cap on something that people have been talking about for years. He hasn't done it yet. I reached out to Gary Payton's people. They said they'd get back to me, but I never heard anything. Maybe someday something will happen. But it's kind of comforting to know that somewhere out there, there's, there's still this cool mystery that 25 years plus later that has still not been solved. So it might get solved someday. We might be able to see it for ourselves. But in the meantime, I can say with great certainty that those other machines are out there with those games in it. Yeah, so I, I I thought that was pretty funny that that just blew up again out of the blue. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the book and kind of some of the steps you took. So I scanned through a little bit of it as I was getting ready for this interview. And first off, the prelude was awesome. I thought it was really well done. Um, I thought you did a really good job explaining the cabinet in Chicago and the arcade. Not to spoil it for people who are going to be buying it because you should buy it. Awesome. Um, thank, you. thank you so much for the kind words, man. Yes. And then in chapter one, you actually do that deep dive where you go into the history of basketball video games. You talk about Dr. J versus Bird, Jordan versus Bird, and you kind of got into that. So what was the research like putting that together to kind of get get this, get that kicker to your to your book? Exactly. Oh, that's a, that is a great question. That's one that, you know, I've talked about a lot of things when it comes to NBA Jam and this book, but... Since this is such a new territory, I've never had a chance to talk about this before, so I'm really excited to talk about this. Yeah, so I knew that I wanted to start off the book with the, with this image of the first night that NBA Jam was ever played by somebody who wasn't a Midway developer. 
So if you're curious out there, even before you buy the book, you can try it out, tinyurl.com slash excerpt, And it should be somewhere on my Twitter, too. But you can actually read the prologue. It posted over at Otaku, or not Otaku, Kotaku, probably about, uh, I'd say, it was like a year and a half ago or so, right when we first announced the book. So um, it's about the whole, about the first time that anybody ever played NBA Jam uh, in the public. So I knew I wanted to start off the book with a big image, like start off with, okay, let's get to some good stuff right off the bat to let you know that I know about NBA Jam, we're going to get to NBA Jam, but then let's pull way back. And I start off with talking about Pong. And I was trying to figure out what would be a good starting point for a book about NBA Jam. I mean, do you start off with where basketball was? Do you start off with where Midway was? Where Mark Turmel was? And then I was like, okay, let's go back to where basketball games started. Because if you think about it, the first basketball arcade game was just a Pong knockoff. At least the first one that I found, which was actually coincidentally published by Midway way back when. Different version of Midway, and this would have been the late 70s, I think. Um, the dates are all right in the book, but offhand, I think it's sometime in the late 70s. Maybe early. Actually, it would probably be early 70s. Um, but yeah, so I was really like, okay, where did basketball start? Where did arcade basketball start? So then I think about Pong and how then this first basketball game is a Pong knockoff. They wanted to see like what kind of changes happen over the years. I mean, NBA Jam doesn't come out of nowhere. And in retrospect, I mean, look at the 2K series, look at NBA Live nowadays. It's just such a different world. Like, what made NBA Jam so special for its time? So I wanted to really set that up. So yeah, it talked about the development of Dr. J versus Larry Bird and how that was one programmer who did that. And, and for the 1980s, that was the state of the art. I was really trying to figure out, okay, like, what are the, the big innovations? Like, Double Dribble has the... Star-Spangled Banner. Uh, at one point, it's got some commentary. Now, the play itself, you know, the characters aren't really distinct like they are in, let's say, NBA Jam or a 2K game. But it's still something, you know, It's double dribble is still really important. And then, you know, I looked at a few other games over there. I think I've got to mention Magic Johnson's Fast Break. So I, I really went through the history of basketball video games, spent a lot of time looking at old games to get an idea of, like, okay, what was important here and what were the key milestones before NBA Jam? So I kind of lead it all up to the way of 1993. Well, actually, I probably stop a little bit earlier for that because they talk about arch rivals too. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time going through like old basketball game retrospectives and whatnot. Um, it was kind of cool. It was, it was there was a lot of cool stuff in there. One weird factoid I found out, or one crazy factoid, you know, one of those things you just find while doing some doing a deep dive somewhere. The very first time anybody can say that there's like for sure an African American character in a game wasn't a basketball game. And I found this fact buried on some page somewhere. But I was like, wow, man, that's crazy. And this is the kind of things that you wouldn't find out unless you're really spending a lot of time researching basketball games. But there's some really cool facts out there. Did you get to play any of these games when you were doing this? Yeah, unfortunately not. It was a lot of it was just looking at YouTube footage and things like that and reading about them. Um, I don't really have many systems myself or any real good setups. So I've only ever played, honestly, a handful of them. But I think I've vetted the games enough that I'm... I'm confident in anything I say. I mean, I I stand behind anything I say, even though I haven't played a lot of them. Yeah, and I think, like I said, the deep research you went through taught me a lot of stuff I didn't know. So that was really cool. Um, I thought, like, you know, you did dive and stuff, like talking about basketball and the Odyssey and stuff like that. I was like, oh, hell, I would never have thought of that. So that was pretty neat. Yeah, um, yeah. It's cool because, I mean, NBA Jam doesn't come out of nowhere, you know? Right. 
And then, like, the basketball games that you love nowadays, I mean, once upon a time, somebody was saying, like, how do you make a basketball video game? How are you going to put this on a screen? I mean, now it seems obvious to just replicate the way stuff is going on TV, but when you're in the 70s and you're in the 80s, even parts of the 90s, you really have to work within constraints. So that's really cool to me. There's something, there's a lot of creativity that goes into that. How do you convey basketball without doing the obvious things? So when you look through everything here, let's talk... Let's let's have some fun talk as maybe a jam here, Ray. And you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, man. So let's go. Let's do this. So first off, who are your squads in NBA Jam? I'm basic. I'm basic, but I love the classics. I love Stockton Malone on the Jazz. Mm-hmm. I love Peyton and Kemp on the Sonics. Man, I love David Robinson and Sean Elliott too. Charles Barkley and Dan Marley. I love a ton of them. But above all, heads and shoulders, it's got to be. The Jazz and the Sonics, they're the the classic picks for a reason, but I have a soft spot for all those guys in my heart. I love the Jazz, loved the Sonics as a kid, was heartbroken when the Bulls just killed them, and actually killed both of them both two times? How many times yep. did the Sonics go to the finals? Yeah, heartbreaking. Sonics once, Bulls twice. Absolutely you know, heartbreaking. Twice. Okay, that's what it was, yeah. Heartbreaking. So, but in my head in NBA Jam, you know, there's no Jordan. They can be kings, you know, it's their uh, it's their little heaven. They can roam there forever and, you know score as much as they would like, and win as much as they can. So, no, I love the Sonics. I love the Jazz. Okay. Yeah, I was... um, So, my hidden team, I found out, and this is how I learned this. You'll get a kick out of this. So, we have a local... I'm sure you guys have them in your area. A barcade, where they have cabinets where you can drink and, like, play play barcade games all night for free. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got a handful of them around here. Yeah, so 16 bits in Florence. I mean, in Cincinnati. I know it's in Columbus, too, probably. Yep, there's a couple Uh, of them. There's one right near me. So they have the they have one of the original cabinets, and I played against people who played with Mark Price and Brad Doherty. I got kicked off that cabinet because oh they God. kicked my ass. Wow, were you yeah. who were you playing as at the time? Was it the Bulls? I was the Magic. So it was Penny and Nick Anderson, I believe. Okay. Yeah, Damn. and Penny's like my favorite player ever. So that's yeah. always a Penny's amazing. There's a cool little story about uh, Penny and NBA Jam. It's more like, more. T- it's more about focused on Shaq. But yeah, there's a cool story over there. Can I can I launch into an impromptu story? Please before do. I come back to this. Okay, cool. So one of the, my favorite things I found out was that. Um, so I got to interview Shaq for the book, which was super cool. It took a lot of work. I spent five months hunting him down, and finally got him. And when I got him, I was like, okay, I just you know I got the big fish. I got somebody on there who I can. Tell my mom about it. I can tell my mom I got Shaq for the book. So my mom, that would mean something. I mean, God bless her, but Glenn Rice won't mean anything. For Glenn Rice, it means a lot to me. Or for me, Glenn Rice means a lot. For her, not so much. Anyway, Shaq told me this great story about how uh, back in the day when NBA Jam was so huge, he had at least one cabinet, if not two, at his house. And all the magic, all the key magic guys at the time, you know, Dennis Scott, uh, Penny, uh, Penny Hardaway, Nick Anderson, Maybe Scott Skiles was part of that list, too. They would all come over to his place, and they would play NBA Jam together. And I just love that image of that classic Orlando Magic squad all playing Jam together. And then when they went on the road, um, the story is that that everybody thinks is that Shaq had two cabinets. You know, he had one NBA Jam they took with him on the road, and he had another one at home. Well, he told me that that would be a little too unfeasible. So what they actually did was they had a Sega Genesis. And then on the road, they would take the Sega Genesis... Uh, with a copy of NBA Jam, maybe tournament edition at this point. And they would go over to a hotel room at this, um, you know, after a bus ride. So, you know, he would get off the bus and he would say, you know, meet me in the room at 10 o'clock. You know, if you're not there, you know, you know, you're going to hear about it tomorrow. 
and then the entire classic Magic Squad would go up to the room. Penny would be there. Shaq would be there. Nick Anderson would be there. They'd all be playing NBA Jam for money. I mean, they were just really into this game. And I loved this image. Like, I loved the Magic. I mean, the Magic is one that, you know, I mentioned offhand. The Jazz and the Sonics. But, man, I was crazy about the Magic. And I just loved the idea of the classic Magic Squad all hanging out, playing NBA Jam in their hotel room. I mean, these guys can do anything. They're superstars at their peak. Well, not at their peak, but at the, in terms of the Magic, I'd say at the peak. Yeah, it was um, peak magic. Yeah, peak magic. And then, yeah, they're spending their time, like, throwing down money on NBA Jam. And then uh, Shaq looked back at that time and he said, you know, lots of good times were had. Lots of money changed hands. And I, you know, I bet there's zero photographic evidence out there, zero videos or anything like that. But just the story itself has such an image in my head. And, man, I just love that, knowing that, you know, Penny's out there playing NBA Jam with Shaq in a hotel room somewhere for cash. Did they say there were there rules, like no one could play with the Magic? That's a good question. I did not hear about the rules. Uh, I do know that Shaq never picked the Magic himself because he was in uh, the fir- very first version of NBA Jam. Uh, mm-hmm. He was removed for licensing reasons, just like Jordan was. Jordan never made it in. Shaq was in there, and then he left, similar to what happened ch- to Charles Barkley later on. Um, but Shaq would always play as a three-point shooter. He would always play somebody who could do something that he couldn't in real life. So he plays Chris Mullen. I think he'd play as Reggie Miller too. So guys who could always nail that three. Um, don't know who he played as in those hotel rooms over there. But if it was Shaq playing, can almost guarantee you it was as the Pacers or as the Warriors or something like that. Um, don't know too much about those rules though. Gosh, I wish I could. I if I had another chance to talk to Shaq again, I'd really pick his brain more about. Okay, tell me who did what. What was going on then? <laughs> But just the surface level story he told me and the few details he did were... Yeah, that's great enough as it is. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. I, I just love that image. I mean, the thing is also is that if you look at it through 2019 eyes, it doesn't seem as weird that people are playing video games together who are, you know, these pro athletes or, you know, people of different walks of life. But back in 1993, I mean, that's a, it's a different era. And video games definitely had kind of a stigma to them, I'm sure. Still within the league and everybody was still used to still getting used to them. So it was just so cool to me that they were all hanging out together, playing video games in 1993. And Shaq, by the way, very hardcore Sega guy, does not have any respect for Nintendo, from what I could tell. Based on my one conversation with him, and then another interview I dug up from way back when that he did about something. Actually, maybe that'd be going too far to see he has no respect for Nintendo. But he's definitely 100% a Sega man over Nintendo man. Please tell me you guys talked about Shaq Fu. We did. We did it for a couple minutes. And I told him about the site. Uh, have you heard about the site where they take old Shaq Fu cartridges and they destroy them? No. God, it was like, I think it was actually ShaqFu.com for a minute. I'm not sure if it's still around. I think, they, yeah, their project was to eliminate every copy of Shaq Fu in existence because it was so bad. And they would get, I think they would, yeah, they would either buy, I don't think they would buy them off of you, but they would ask you to send them in so they could destroy them or do something with them. So I talked to Shaq about this. I was like, look, I'm not going to get a chance to talk to Shaq every day. I got to ask him. So I talked to Shaq about this and he, he kind of like hand waves off and he was like, I made a lot of money on that game. Don't worry. So as in like, he was like, that game did just fine, did just fine. And he said that the technology wasn't really where he wanted it to be at the time. So that said, though, he didn't really have anything bad to say about Shaq Fu. I know, I'm sure he still loves Shaq Fu. Um, but yeah, we talked about it for a couple minutes. Found out that he also likes to play Mortal Kombat. Uh, I asked him about his favorite Mortal Kombat character, and I'm pretty sure he said a character from Tekken, which now like gets me pretty confused in <laughs> retrospect, because he seemed very confident in Mortal Kombat. But I'm pretty sure he said Law from Tekken. And he talked to me about uh, he used to like to play Punch-Out 2. Um, and then also, the, before NBA Jam, it was all about double dribble. 
And then he said when NBA Jam came along, you know, Double Dribble just went to his side. So, no, he was a very cool guy, and I learned a lot of great little stories about what it was like to be at a, as a player at that time in the league from the, uh, from the side of, you know, the perception of video games and the kind of stuff that they were up to. So, yeah. yeah that's, that's amazing you had to interview Shaq. That's pretty, like you said, I've been blessed to interview a lot of amazing people. Shaq is one I have not tracked down. Yeah. No, it was it was incredible how it happened. So it took me a lot of legwork, some luck, and I was trekking down for like four or five months. His agent was super nice, and she was always like, I'm going to try to get him for you. I'm going to try to get him for you. And she wasn't able to. And, of course, I'm like, I'm just happy to get him. I'll, I'll wait. on. If you want me to wait for a year, I'll wait a year for Shaq. Shaq's worth it. Right. So I waited for months and months, and then at my day job, I work with these insurance agents. So I, I give them, I call them up about their websites. And then one day, I'm to contact her, and she's like, okay, he can talk today. And I get this text, and I'm like, oh, I got this appointment on my Outlook calendar for this insurance agent, so I got to go cancel that. So I cancel my interview with this, uh, or my appointment with this guy. I don't tell him why I'm canceling, but I feel like I don't need to have a reason. It's Shaq. If Shaq was going to call you, I would, if I was at the hospital right. and my wife was giving birth, I'd do my best to step into the other room. I mean, I won't guarantee I'm going to take Shaq's call over a baby being born, but I'd at least try. So I'm over at work. And I get this text, and it's like, okay, yeah, Shaq can speak today. So I'm like, okay, all right, I got my questions over here. I know them inside out. So I take that time, and instead of doing that appointment, I go and I sit in this little huddle room at work, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and nothing happens. So, and keep in mind, it's only been five minutes, but for me, it's been an eternity. I don't get too nervous too often, but I was really nervous this time. I was like, it's Shaq. So... I text his agent, and I was like, hey, I haven't heard anything. Any, any idea what's going on? And then she's like, shit, he hasn't called you? Give it a minute. And, um, and then I, just a few seconds later, I get an unknown caller on my cell phone. So I pick it up, and he goes, hello? It's like, it's, it's totally shacking tell immediately by how he talks. And, you know, I was just, I was pretty nervous at the time, but I think I handled myself well enough and got all the key questions in without fanboying out or anything like that. Um, he was pulling out of his driveway, Somewhere in, I think he was in Florida at the time, yeah. So part of the conversation was him talking about, like, you know, the ding, ding, ding sound that it makes when your seatbelt isn't plugged in or your door's a little open. <laughs> so we talked about that for a few minutes. And I was thinking, man, this is so weird. I'm at my office job in Columbus, Ohio, in a huddle room, talking to Shaq as he's pulling out of a driveway in Florida. I'm in his car speakerphone. And I'm talking to him about NBA Jam. And I was like, man, my life is really, really cool sometimes and very weird. So... I got to talk to him, and he was super cool. Um, I mean, I've got all the, the best things to say about him. I mean, I'm a no-name who came in that, when I came into that interview. I was on there with, you know, the NBA Jam book being something to talk about. But, you know, he did it pretty much. He did me a solid, and so did his agent. She's awesome. And then once I got done with the interview, I was like, oh, my God. It happened. I, I finally got him. And I come out of the room, and my coworkers were there. They knew that I'd be talking to him that day because I could not keep my mouth shut. And they're like, did you talk to him? I was like, yeah, I talked to him. So then I played them the recording, and then their faces would just light up like, oh, my God, that's Shaq. You just talked to him. And that was a very memorable day. I mean, it was one of those things that I'm going to remember when I'm old very, very well of uh, how well that went. I got all my material in, got some good quotes for the book, got some good stories. And uh, I made a, a really cool connection that I hope uh, I can get the book in Shaq's hands someday. So I will <clears throat> kind of tell you a little bit of Shaq pop culture I have in my house that you'll yeah. appreciate. I have... I know I got skills on vinyl. That's amazing. Yes. Wow. That, there needs to be... I'm, I wonder who the biggest Shaq collector in the world is. Like, you know somebody's out there. They've got it all. They've got all those Shaq figures from the 90s. They've got every version of Shaq Fu. They've got all of his jerseys. 
I mean, they've got, you know, blue chips on five different formats. They've got it all. They've got all his video game covers that he was on. I've got the Shaq Gnosis in my sneaker closet. What's that? I have the Shaq Gnosis in my sneaker closet. That's awesome. See, there you go. The Shaq Gnosis. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, gosh. And imagine if you count all the products that he's endorsed over the years, considering that he's endorsed pretty much everything. Like, if you had a collection of that, I mean, that that would be something to see, like, the ultimate Shaq collection. All the stuff he's endorsed and... All the different products with the Shaq name on it. I bet there's some uh, crazy good stuff out there that people forgot about. Like, I wonder, like, was there ever, like, a Shaq, Shaq Halloween mask? Like, there had to have been at some point. Like, when he was really hot in, like, 93, yeah. 94, and 85, there had to have been, like, a Shaq Halloween mask. He had a candy bar. He had Shaq bar. He did. He did. Yeah. I love that thing. I never got to eat one, but I remember seeing a picture of it in Disney Adventures magazine and being like, I'm going to try that out someday. I never got the chance, and I probably won't ever get the chance unless I want to go on eBay and eat some nasty candy after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. But in my head, the, the you know the Shaq candy bar is probably delicious too. So and the crunch, of course, <laughs> he was a crunch spokesperson for a bit. Yep. Yeah, he was all over the place. So he was uh, he was very cool. Man, the Shaq gnosis that's a that's a great find, or that's a that's a great keepsake right there. Yeah, man, I love them. I yeah. wear them every so often, but that, uh, just break oh, them out awesome. for for show. That's awesome. Um, you can't wear them. You can't wear them out. I mean, you can't like you as in you can't wear them out so much that you're gonna. Hurt right, those puppies. You got to take care of those things. Oh, I do. Trust yeah, me. Excellent. I got a hundred pairs of shoes in my closet. Trust That's me. That's awesome. Yeah. So, a little bit more about the game. Obviously, yeah. I think one of the one of the things people love the most about NBA Jam is the hidden characters. So, every team had a different person. They represented like something different. You know, obviously, everyone always references DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton. Uh, I do think I know in. The On Fire edition, which we'll get to on PS3, they had a few extras as well. I know like Obama and Biden were a team and stuff like that. When you, when you kind of did your research on the edition on the hidden characters, what really jumped out to you as far as like one, the array of licenses they got for this, and two, just like oh hell, they got that guy. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So the, the thing with the NBA with this that I get into in the book, which nobody's ever gone into before is that the secret characters weren't anything that they were ever actually officially licensed for. So as in both, when I talked to G.J. Jazzy Jeff and George Clinton, both of them said to me they'll never remember getting paid for it or ever signing off their likeness for it. Now, they're not, not like super salty over it or anything, but neither of them, it sounds like, ever had any kind of say of in being characters in NBA Jam, which represents just where video games were at the time. I mean, it was kind of a wild west. Being in a video game at that point was such a big deal. Because this is before mods, really. This is before you know creative characters, and before a lot of endorsement deals that you get nowadays. So, um, so finding out the fact that they weren't ever paid or really notified of it was definitely a little kind of a funny feeling. Thinking like, oh, I could have sworn you got a check for it. Like I would have guessed you would have, but both of them were like, nope, didn't get anything, and um, never heard anything from anybody else about those secret characters getting paid for the earlier versions. Um, but yeah, what just stuck out to me was like the variety of people that they got and people that I've either forgotten about or you know never seen before. Um, let's see who who else was some some of the weirder secret characters. There was Warren Moon, Prince Charles. Uh, there were three dinosaurs, and I think it was like a Sega 32X or Sega CD version. There was um, if you if you can't NBA Jam Extreme, one of the ones that that Acclaim put out. There was Marv Albert, John Elway. I mean, I had no idea that Marv Albert was ever in any version of NBA Jam or John Elway. Um, 
and the more I, you know, I'm sure this is just off the top of my head. I mean, there's a whole bunch more. Al Gore, Airdog, that kid who I managed to talk to for the book. He's all grown up now. He had a really good story. And, um, yeah, just l really learning about the secret characters and how one thing led to another was pretty cool. So just to give you a little bit of context about that, the secret characters were never planned to be like a big selling feature for NBA Jam. It kind of happened by happenstance. And with that original game in Midway, the guys, once they got done with the development process, they went and they had their uh, photos, their heads scanned in once they were all finished. So they were like, okay, this might be a fun thing as a little keepsake for the game to come back to and say, oh yeah, I'm a secret character in that game. I made that game and here I am in that game. You know, a way that they could show off, a way that they could win bar bets in the future, you know, have something a little, something cool of their own in there. But one thing led to another, and those secret characters really took off, and people just could not get enough of the fact that there was hidden characters in NBA Jam that when the time came to make the home versions, Claim was like, okay, yeah, let's do the Beastie Boys, you know, let's do, um, yeah, Heavy D. Let's do all these people, like, from just across the spectrum of sports and pop culture. I mean, Randall Cunningham was in there. Um, Larry Bird was a secret character at some point in one of the original versions. I'm sure he got a check for that. He had to have. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But it was so cool learning. Like, it was very spontaneous. It was very organic. And one thing led to another. And now you've got this crazy roster. I mean, you know, you could put Fresh Prince next to Bill Clinton, next to MCA from the Beastie Boys, next to George Clinton, all part of the same franchise. And then on Fire Edition, they had, yeah, they had uh, Obama, Biden, Palin. Um, who else was in there? John McCain. You could also play as George W. Bush. Um, I'm sure there's some other ones I'm forgetting. I think maybe Dick Cheney was in there too. So it's just a crazy, diverse uh, cast of characters. And it's one of the, the really the special features of NBA Jam. And I think it's one of the reasons that people still love the game so much. Yeah, I, absolutely. Because I know there was rumors forever, and maybe you can confirm this, that there were some cabinets that on the side of it, there was like a small piece of paper that actually had the cheat codes. Oh, to get, yeah. unlock characters. Yeah, people would do that. They would handwrite that. Have you by any chance been, so you're over in the Cincinnati area, mm -hmm. have you ever heard of this place called Arcade Legacy? Oh, have I? Oh, boy. Re so you, are we talking about the same cabinet? Have you seen the, the Arcade Legacy cabinet? The one in the Cincinnati Mills Mall? Yes, yeah. Yep. The, the abandoned mall, yeah. And that's got those uh, hand-taped NBA Jam codes on the side. That's exactly what I thought of when you mentioned that. And... Um, I'm not sure if you that had it when you went, but I've got a photo somewhere I took way back when I went there myself, and it was so cool. Yeah, handwritten codes. All these years later, I mean, you could just pull up your phone and take a second to get them, but to see them handwritten on the side of a cabinet is very, you know, that's very analog, very old school, very NBA Jam. So yeah, there were, uh, I'm sure there were handwritten notes on the sides of machines. I do know that there were strategy guides. You know, the one I cover in the book is called How to Win at NBA Jam. That was photocopied and shared over and over in arcades across America to the point that people were getting upset that these secret characters were publicized to the point that these guides were being sold. And arcade operators were like, this is like this little cottage industry in arcades of people selling NBA Jam guides and NBA Jam codes. We don't like it. So and it was such a big thing that, yeah, people were selling NBA Jam guides, putting, them, putting those codes out there everywhere. There was all kinds of secrets, all kinds of rumors that the cheerleaders were in the game. Maybe the cheerleaders weren't in the game. So it's wild stuff, and it really spoke to the fact that NBA Jam really just ignited people's imaginations. They just loved the idea, like, anybody could be in that game. You don't know anybody could be there. Ken Griffey Jr., maybe he's in that game somewhere. You never know. So it's just so cool to think about. 
Yeah, it's so funny. I'm so happy. It makes me so happy that you knew about that. That that one cabinet in particular. So yes. that's awesome. That's so cool. I love that spot. I actually um, there was a, a section for the book that I was working on that I ended up having to uh, to cut. That hopefully I'll be able to come back to someday in the event that this book does well and I can put it back where it's supposed to be. But it was about arcade legacy. I love that spot. I went to the old version that was in a strip mall. This was like 2000 and maybe. 11, 12, something like that, I think. Um, there was a version in a strip mall for a bit. Maybe it was 2010 even, uh, before they moved over into the, bottom of the, into the bottom of that abandoned mall. But, man, I love that spot, and I love that machine. Yeah, it's still got those uh, those codes taped on the side last I checked, which was sometime, I think, maybe earlier this year. So, yeah, that's a fantastic place. What a cool little arcade. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty popular one around here, for sure. Yeah. And it's so weird. That's the, that's the only thing in the mall that does any business. There's like oh, three dude, things. Yeah. It, that place is really, I bet that place is a crazy good story too. <laughs> well, when we're not on air, I can tell you some great stories about that mall. Oh my God. I would love to hear them. <laughs> I'd love to hear them. I got to tell you, last time I was there, I had this moment of panic. So for people who don't know, this is one, this is a massive, uh, massive mall. It's something it's like empty. Over a million square feet, something like that, which sounds absurd, but then you, when you go inside there, you're like, wow, this could be over a million square feet. Um, just huge. And I was in there last time, and it was closing down time. And, of course, there's, like, nobody there in this massive abandoned mall. And I hear people starting to lock the gates. And there's this one guard who goes around. I think he was on a Segway. Um, <laughs> yes. And I had to, like, I had to, I had to track him down. I'm like, well, no, 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 no. I'm still here. Like, my brother and I are still here. Please don't close, like, the gates. Like, you got to let us out. Because it would be, like, my nightmare to be trapped in there overnight. Like, that's the beginning of a horror movie. That's how you die, is in this abandoned mall in Cincinnati. So, thankfully, that did not happen. I was able to track down this guy on a Segway. And I got out of the mall. But that was my last memory of that mall last time I went. I definitely want to go back, though. Well, when you are back, you'll have to let me know. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's such a cool spot. And there's so much to do in that uh, arcade. I mean, I spent all day over there. Um, there's some really cool people I've met over there, too. We found out how to hack one of the machines. I know we're like way off off base here, but yeah. we found out how to hack one of the machines. And we found like, I think it was like the, the Terminator machine or something like that. Oh, yeah? And we found WF WrestleFest on there. No way. That's awesome. I would. Yeah. Man, you'll have to show that to me in the event that we ever run into each other at this place. Oh, yeah. Well, that's going to happen at this point. We're, that's so cool. We're friends now, so. That's so cool. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'd be. I'd love to meet. That's so. I, I'm not surprised that you can do cool stuff over there. I mean, they had all kinds of cool little cabinets just tucked away in the back um, that yeah. I didn't even really get a look at. I mean, these are stuff that were off the floor. So they they were, had the Space Jam pinball game. They have a Space Jam pinball game now? That yep. They did not have that at the time I went. Wow. Yeah. That's Pretty awesome. bad. That is so cool. I have never had the chance, never had the good fortune to play the Space Jam pinball game. Come to think of it, I don't think I've ever played the Space Jam video game either. I know it's like some kind of NBA Jam knockoff, but I've never played it. So I will say this: the Space Jam video game, the mini game and the loading screen is actually better than the game. <laughs> that says everything you need to know. I don't think we yes. need to go. We don't need to do a review past that. That's like the that's the <laughs> synopsis right there. That's the capsule. I love it. <laughs> What's the mini game? What's the mini game there? It's the scene in the movie when you have to go to Michael's house and get his stuff. Mm. So you're Bugs and Daffy, and you're going around the trophy room, and all of his gear is like hidden all around, and you have to get it before the dog gets you. I love it, and that's the highlight of the game. So yes. yeah, the monsters are like cut-rate villains next to that dog. That dog is like that dog's the real star of the game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
So no, someday I gotta play that. I mean, there's all these like NBA Jam knockoffs and NBA Jam inspired games out there that I want to try someday. Like there's this game I heard about when I was working on the book called Jamit. Have you ever heard of Jamit before? Uh, no. I was gonna ask you about College Slam, but ooh, College Slam. There's another one. So College Slam is one that Acclaim made on their own. So this is after Midway. So Midway created the original arcade game, and they published the arcade game. And then Acclaim had the rights of first refusal to Midway games at the time, which means that they got to, of course, pounce on the NBA Jam license. Then they pounced on NBA Jam TE. So then their whole relationship splits up. Acclaim and Midways, which is what I get into in the book, which is also new material. Nobody's ever talked about what happened over there before. And I've got both points of view. I've got the Acclaim point of view and the Midway point of view in there. And so they split up. And then Acclaim holds on to the NBA Jam engine and then ends up making College Slam, which, well, how do you feel about College Slam before I get into it? It's bad, but I love it. Yeah. That's a consensus from what I've heard. I've never had a chance to play it myself, honestly. You I could actually have, edit like, the rosters in the game. before, but it didn't like look anything like spectacular. A couple of the features look kind of cool as a novelty. Like I think there was something about like a, like a tornado dunk or whirlwind dunk or mm-hmm. something like that. That Yeah. Yeah, I kind of wanted to try that just for the curiosity uh, of doing something like that, but I was never really into it. So College Slam was one that Acclaim put out, and Mark Trammell is not a fan of. Like, he really felt felt like Acclaim just ran that whole aesthetic into the ground by releasing all those versions and then releasing College Slam, and then the games they put out themselves weren't all that great, honestly. NBA Jam Extreme and the numbered games, like 99 and 2000. Um, but yeah, College Slam was something that's... Uh, I touched on it in the book briefly. I get Tramiel talking about it, but it was something that... The NBA Jam, the original NBA Jam team, from what I understand, did not really appreciate. Yeah, I can I can see that. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. They said that, yeah. I mean, this is their baby. I mean, even though there's a lot of industry, I mean, there's a lot of business associated with this. You know, the money the basketball games would make, especially at that point. You know, that was, that was something that's really important. But the guys that really made NBA Jam, I mean, they had a great passion for the project. And, I mean, I feel like something like College Slam takes away some of the art of it. Uh, it takes away a lot of the art and the ingenuity of it to basically be like, okay, if you loved NBA Jam, here's the college version. It's pretty much the same game with a few different facelift changes. So I think the original team kind of resented that. Yeah, because I'm trying to think, like, you talked about some of the kind of spinoffs. So, like, Showtime NBA on NBC with Shaq on the cover was a big one. Um, I remember the, you know, you mentioned the NBA Jam numbered years when they were on 64. I think Keith Van Horn was on the cover of one. That was weird he was he was that moment when keith van horn was the man man i thought keith van horn was going to be like this guy was going to be not i didn't think he was going to be like any kind of like real like the guy but i was like man keith van horn i thought i thought he was poised for just like serious superstardom yeah there's that time when keith van horn was on the cover i think yeah i i found an old acclaim ad it's got keith van horn in it and i forget who it's got from uh the football side and the hockey side but it's got keith van horn representing nba jam whatever number and then Stone Cold Steve Austin representing WF Attitude or WF Warzone. Warzone, yeah. Yeah, side by side. So you got Keith Van Horn and Stone Cold Steve Austin, the duo of 1998. Like, oh, I just love that right there. Um, yeah, I mean, some of those numbered games, they really they took a turn for the worse. But, um, the you know, NBA Showtime, that's the original Midway lineage. So is NBA Hangtime. Original development team people worked on that. Mark Jamel worked on both those games. He also worked on NBA Ballers. So get into Ballers for a few paragraphs in the book, too. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's really cool. NBA Jam has had its fingerprints on all kinds of games. 
So you mentioned NBA Ballers. The one thing that I think stood out the most from that game, because that game's not great, um, but it was the first time, I think it's the first time an NBA game had 21 in it, and you could play with three people. Probably was, probably was, yeah. You know what's cool about NBA Ballers is this is something I found out after the fact, um, or rather while I was writing the book, you know, long after I was into the games the first time myself as a fan, is that NBA Jam in its very early stages when they were trying to figure out how they are going to do it, there was a brief time when Mark Trammell wanted NBA Jam to be one-on-one. So this is going hmm. way, way back. But yeah, he eventually got to realize that with Ballers. And he wanted to do something different when they got on the home consoles. I mean, NBA Ballers was the first game that they did uh, on the home consoles over there. So yeah, they wanted to uh, they wanted to do something different. So that's how they ended up with that. That's crazy. Yeah. So... I do want to get into because I know we've already gone over more time than you asked for, so I greatly appreciate you. Of course, man. Of course. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what this game being NBA Jam means in pop culture. I know you cover that in the book. So obviously it's something that people always know. People know the voice of Tim Kittrow. They may not know who Tim Kittrow is, but when they hear Boom Shukalaka, they hear he's on fire, they hear Kaboom, they know who it is. And he did all of those for us on our show. We did not ask him. That's awesome. Yes, that's so, the kind of that's the kind of guy he is. He just goes right into those spontaneously. I mean, he'll just if you're excited by that, if you love NBA Jam, then he's gonna go right for it. Yes, he will. He actually just did some stuff. So I'm on the I'm a college basketball writer, and so I cover Xavier. I cover Northern Kentucky University. I cover UC. He just did a video with Xavier to announce the Big East schedule. That's awesome. I haven't seen that yet. I'm gonna have to check that out. He's always up to yeah, something. Exactly. The guys the guys made so much money off his voice. Yeah, and in some ways he hasn't made that much money when you think about it too. Um, do you are you familiar with Tim Kittrow's whole story of getting paid in NBA Jam? Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a little on the sad side. Um, so he's kind of uh, I mean he's he's obviously like this cult hero and he's got some amazing stories and amazing life experiences. But in my book, if there's anything of a tragic figure, it's probably Tim Kittrow. Ooh, yeah, that's a, that's a shame. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, he really had to struggle to get paid um, for the home version of NBA Jam in particular. I mean, there was a time when Acclaim was thinking about cutting him, which is just crazy to think. I mean, that's iconic. I mean, the NBA the arcade version is one thing, but if you had no Boom Shakalaka, he's on fire, or whatever for the home version, then all those people that played it internationally or never got to go out to the arcade or only played Sega or Super Nintendo. Like, they would have never gotten to hear his voice. So there was almost a moment where that didn't happen over a pretty paltry amount of money, over $3,000, which in the grand scheme of things, considering how much NBA Jam made, is pretty much just a drop in the bucket. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this game, pop culture-wise, is, you know, like we're like we're saying, it's just huge. Homage has an NBA Jam t-shirt line, which is super cool. I have the Bulls one. I have the Magic one. Um there's been so many spinoffs. It's referenced all the time. Kitzrow's done stuff for the Warriors. He did stuff for your Bleacher Report to use what they what they reference NBA Jam. To you, what does this game mean pop culture wise for future generations? Pop culture wise, I think it's going to be def- it's definitely going to always symbolize the '90s. It's always going to symbolize '90s basketball. I feel like it's one of those things that's. I have a little paragraph in the book about. You know, even though this is a book about a video game, it's also a book about basketball. So I do a little, I take a little look at like where basketball was at the time and who the key players were and what was going on over there. And I think back to all those classic things of 90s basketball, like, you know, starter jackets, 
like you know all those amazing trading cards from Tops and Fleer and Upper Deck. I think about NBA inside stuff. I think about NBA Jam over there too. I mean, that's always going to be a part of '90s basketball. Aside from the video game side, I think you know '90s basketball fans will always have a soft spot in the heart for NBA Jam. Video game wise, I think NBA Jam is going to still continue to be played. You know, probably 50 years from now, it'll probably be, of course, it'll be in a museum somewhere, or some kind of emulator that you'll be playing it on, or something like that. Um, I mean, who knows how people are going to keep up machines, but yeah, I mean, NBA Jam has had a remarkable effect. I mean. Here's, some, here's a few things that I learned about the NBA Jam from the making of the book that I did not know, like in terms of the effect that it's had, is that Kanye West sampled NBA Jam a few years ago for The Life of Pablo. So this is maybe 2015, but he sampled like an NBA Jam effect in there. I learned about people who had NBA Jam research papers, NBA Jam fine art, NBA Jam tattoos. Um, there's all kinds of songs that reference NBA Jam. I mean, there's, the, there's some kind of NBA Jam rule in beer pong. Three shots means you're on fire. Like, all this cool stuff. But video game-wise, I think NBA Jam is... I don't think it's... I think even without the bias, obvious bias that I have, I'd say it's one of the, the greatest arcade games of all time, easily. And I'd even say it's one of the greatest video games of all time. I mean, there's a reason people still play it. It isn't just nostalgia. It isn't just like, oh man, I loved it when I was a kid. No, you play it now, you understand how competitive it can get and how fast it can get that competitive. And when you see those faces flashing up and down the screen and you see all those logos, that really adds another level too in terms of nostalgia. But the gameplay itself really holds up. And um, I mean, yeah, I think that it's always going to be part of pop culture. It's going to probably come and go. And I do think there'll be another NBA Jam someday. I think it's just a matter of time that somebody says, wow, we're just sitting on this fantastic license and doing nothing with it. Let's, let's do something with it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's a... Uh, I mean, it's just had a huge effect, and the more you like the you know you just learn a little bit more, you find out more about how much uh, of an effect NBA Jam had, and that was cool about doing the book is that you know I didn't I loved NBA Jam. I thought I knew a lot. I didn't in retrospect I knew really really very little, um, but it's so cool that even even now I'm always learning more. You know, Mark Turmel posted a picture of somebody in California at a Clippers game with an NBA Jam license plate. And, I mean, stuff like that still pops up. So there's always something new around the corner. Who knows what I'll find out tomorrow or a week from now that is NBA Jam inspired. Yeah, you're not kidding, man. It's something that means so much to my life, yeah. I know. As, a, as like I said, as a lifelong basketball fan, as a basketball podcaster, as a basketball writer, uh, it's something that means so much to me. All right, man. So like we said, this is launch day. This is the day the book is out, that the public is hearing this wonderful episode of this podcast we did. Tell everyone who's listening, first off, why they should buy NBA Jam the book, and second, where they can buy NBA Jam the book. Oh, man. Going for the hard sell. All right. Here we go. All right. This is, for the first time, the definitive story of the greatest arcade basketball game of all time. Jurassic Park made $343 million, let's say, in 1993. That same year, NBA Jam made $1 billion in quarters. Nothing to do with the home versions, only the arcade game, one billion and quarters. What must it be like to have been at Midway in the early 90s, creating a game like this? Where did it come from? What kind of effect did it have on these people's lives? You know, what kind of effect did it have on the NBA and the players? I mean, I'm sure I've got some other stories that I tell in the game and the book itself, like Glenn Rice's. So if you want to learn really about the whole lore of this game, it's something really cool. And even if you're just interested in the video game development aspect, 
I mean, or if you have a, even a passing interest in it, you'll definitely meet some interesting characters. I mean, Mark Jamel is fascinating. I mean, my main character is somebody who earned $10,000 a month as a teenager programming Apple II games. And with NBA Jam the Book, you get Mark Jamel's life story. You get the acclaimed Midway saga broken down. You get the end of Midway and how they went out of business. You get the story of the first NBA Jam strategy guide. You get all kinds of cool factoids. And you get an interview with Shaq and DJ Jazzy Jeff in one book. And, of course, George Clinton, John Romero from Doom. Um, it's a little scattered, but the book itself is much more coherent than that pitch was. But, yeah, if you want to check it out, tinyurl.com slash nbajambook. Um, the Kindle version is live as of right now. And then I think the other e-reader versions should be live, too. The physical versions will be going out very soon. We're still waiting on them to come back from the printers. It's just a matter of time. But if you want to read it now, you can check it on Kindle ASAP. tinyurl.com slash nbajambook. And I'm over on Twitter at twitter.com slash nbajambook. Always posting all kinds of cool old stuff. I love your Twitter account. I got to say that. So I love that you post all these classic video game ads. You have all this nostalgic stuff. All these pictures you got from like Undertaker shots for WrestleMania, the arcade game. You know, you, you showed some Shaq Fu ads recently. Um, just brings me back, man. It's so cool. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much. The Twitter's taken on a life of its own. I originally was just doing it to supplement the uh, supplement this whole idea of this book. And then I started to take one thing, to do one thing, uh, and then do another, and then do another. And now the Twitter is almost, it's, you know, it works alongside the book, but it's almost its, its separate thing. And it's been a lot of fun going in and doing some deep dives. And I post lots of really weird, obscure stuff. And I spend a lot of time digging. You know, there are people out there that love records that, you know, they're out there, they, they go crate digging. I do that in terms of, like, video game nostalgia. And I've done, like, a little bit of basketball stuff here and there. I probably need to pick up the basketball stuff more uh, to show off some of the cool stuff that I've got on that side, too. But, I mean, just going through that stuff brings back memories and also, like, teaches me all kinds of new things about games, too. I could go back and look at old video clips with fresh eyes and see how they look in 2019, which sometimes is the same, sometimes it's a little bit different. So, yeah, and I've got some really very cool NBA Jam finds that um, are should be coming up on there very shortly. I've posted some stuff so far, but there's going to be more cool stuff to come. Excellent. Well, man, I wish you the best of luck with this book. Thank you for writing this book as a lifelong NBA Jam fan. I'm so excited to knock it out. Um, and thank you, of course, for giving me an hour of your time to talk about it and promote it. So please, everyone, like he said, tinyurl.com slash NBA Jam book. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. You nailed it. Per perfect. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me on, man. And honestly, it's just a pleasure to talk about this game and to see, you know, it, it inspires so much love and nostalgia and so many cool stories and little facts and whatnot. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And um, yeah, if you ever want to run it back, I, of course, there's so much to do with this book. Maybe I'll have something else that's cool that's going on in Bay Jam related in six months. Maybe there's going to be an audiobook at some point. Who knows? Hey, man, I'm here for whatever you need me to do to promote this. So Hell yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, everyone. Have a good night. And of course, boom shakalaka.